Then they have these like kiosks. They're they're not everywhere. They're in Vancouver. They're a vending machine for oxycotton and, and like you know, like this is an insane idea. And they found out that you know high school kids they're starting to use it recreational. Why? Because they know it's safe. This is just the dumbest thing ever. This, like this should not be happening. I'm Tim Bickett, a grain and cattle risk management advisor from Worthington, Minnesota, and you are listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, we welcome Sean Newman back to the podcast. Longtime listeners of the podcast know that when Sean and I met, he was a uh, podcast host that was doing hockey shows. And during the COVID lockdowns and uh, changes in his life, he has gone on to become perhaps one of the most important and influential podcasters in all of Western Canada and is certainly making waves throughout the entire system all the way through to the government. We're going to have a fantastic conversation with him. I love chatting with him. Sean and I have become very good friends over the years. But first, I've got a couple of things I want to share with you, just some things I'm sure you'd want to be aware of. And I have a little personal story I want to tell, uh, something that happened the other night that I think is worth uh, bringing up. So first, uh, we you may remember that my creative director here at Legacy Interviews, before he did this, he wrote a full-length motion picture called What Rhymes With Reason?, it was played in all theaters around the country. It was an amazing uh, show, and it is now out on all the streaming platforms. It's gotten picked up by Apple, Hulu, uh, Amazon. And uh, so if you're looking for a family-friendly movie, it's really appropriate for teenagers kind of to give you an insight into what they're going through as far as stress and pressure and anxiety. I went, you know, because I like Sean, and I know he's a good writer, but I really didn't expect to really like the movie, and I did. So... Uh, I know Annie and I are planning on watching that this weekend. So that's what rhymes with reason. Another thing coming up, if you are one of my Canadian listeners or maybe Northern US, uh, you might be surprised to know that I am headed to Canada next week. So on February 14th and 15th, I will be at the AgriVision conference that is in Lloydminster, which is right on the border of Saskatchewan and Alberta. I've been invited to give a talk called The Art of Picking Up Nails. This is really about how to get people to have deeper, better conversations. And one of the things I love about this talk that's coming up is there is so much cultural heritage in that part of Canada. And uh, it is not that long ago that people were living without electricity and water. And they had children that grew up in a modern age. And so much of what they went through to make that world that uh, survivable and even something that their families could thrive in, it's all being lost to history. People don't even know where their families came from or how they got there. And so I'm excited to be giving this talk because I know that Canadians in that part of the country really care about their history. And then finally, uh, I told you I would mention a personal story. Uh, a few months ago, I had a chance to interview my wife's grandfather, so my children's great-grandfather, to do a legacy interview. And it took him quite a few months from saying, yeah, I'll do it, to actually getting in here and recording the interview. We did it. It was a wonderful conversation. And then um, I went to the work of getting it edited and sent to him. But these interviews are entirely confidential. So even though it's my children's great-grandfather, when I walked into my bedroom the other night after we'd put our kids to bed and we're really tired, I see my wife looking at her phone and she's teared up. And she said, did you know this story about my grandfather? And I said, yeah, I did. Um, but I couldn't tell you about it because it's his story to share. And what he had done was he had written all of his grandchildren 
um, about some stories that he'd never told them before. And the fact that he had done a legacy interview had really prompted him to want to tell more stories, to be able to share things with his family. And my wife got to hear things about her grandmother that she never knew. And she was sitting there with tears of joy saying how much she appreciated now having the opportunity to know her family history so she could pass it on to her daughters. So I share this to say, I know that it's sometimes a little bit hard to get people to come in and do a legacy interview. It's a little bit hard to get them um, to agree to it, but this is going to change the course of my wife's life and our children's lives because they know these stories. And if you are interested in having me sit down with one of your loved ones to have them not only tell stories so they can be recorded, but oftentimes, so it opens them up. So they want to share other stories because they know now how important that is. Go to LegacyInterviews.com to find out more. All right, without further ado, let's head to the interview with my good friend, Sean Newman. Sean Newman, welcome to the podcast. Sir, you know, I'm just going to say this real fast, okay? Um, I've got to sit and do uh, my own version of Legacy Interviews, and uh, what you're talking about is um, is like, I don't know, I, 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 I stress... I, I, I can't find the word to be honest, but like super cool and super meaningful. And people uh, who do it, they all come in that, that I've dealt with, Vance. I'm sure you have your own stories, and they all. Oh, I don't really like God, like talking about myself. Oh, I, you know, I, I'm 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 pretty shy, or Grandpa's pretty shy, or on and on and on. But these people have these stories that are like beyond belief. Sometimes I just did a guy interviewed a guy who lost a brother by being struck by lightning. And uh, it was just literally in the, the, the grouping with them when it happens. They're all sitting in a barn back in like the, you know, the 50s. And this happens. And you're like, what? And, you know, and then this interview takes its own life of its own. All I mean to say is what you're talking about and how you're, um, uh, you know, trying to encourage people to do it is like, you know, at some point, you're gonna, every, every last one of us is going to lose a loved one. And we're all going to think, Man, I wish I would have just done it sooner, you know, because you want them to have sound mind. You want them to be able to come in and actually be able to tell the stories. You don't want to wait so long that uh, um, they can't actually get their thoughts out. Like one of the things I've been thinking about with you, and I'm sorry, I'm taking over the interview, it seems, is I'm like, I wonder if I wonder if a guy should be doing it like once every like five or ten years and where you do like a series Right, because how cool would that be for my kids? I don't know. I mean, obviously, with me and the podcast and how many uh, uh, episodes I do a week, they're gonna if they want, they're gonna have plenty of content to go try and listen to. But to where they get to my actual thoughts and my deep ones, like okay, this is what I actually think right now, and this is what I've been going through, and this is what I'm struggling with. Um, I think it'd be a ton of fun too. Yeah, sorry. I mean, I, just I think, think the, it, the plug for the legacy interviews. People need to know how important I'm grateful it is. for you saying that. You know, one of the commitments that uh, when I first started this, I had a business partner, Ben. He's a great guy, and we made the commitment that we were not going to do this as like a fear based thing. Like, oh, you got to interview your parents because they may not always be around. But I always find myself when people are like, oh, I wish we could have interviewed my uncle before he passed away. The only thing I can say is like, you're right. And it's too bad that you didn't, you weren't able to do that. So now look around and ask yourself, who will I be regretful for in the future? And not as like, because everybody's going away, but really, truly, it's about the wisdom. It's people come in, like you said, and they think like, ah, my stories, eh, they're not that good. They're not that important. 
But every time when I ask people that key question, you know, what was the lesson that you learned out of that experience? They drop bombs on you. They, they, they say things that you're like, oh my gosh, that is so important. And a grandchild have gotten them. So thanks, man. I, I, it's not often I get to talk like this with somebody that I know. I mean, you did it. You were, you were the early days I was calling you when we was first getting started. But we're not here to talk about legacy interviews. What we're here to talk about <laughs> is what the fuck is going on in Canada. <laughs> So, um, you know, there was some Canada has been a bizarre place Vance for, for certainly four years, maybe, maybe longer. Maybe I wasn't paying attention before. Um, but it, it's been a bizarre place for some time. And I mean, if you follow Jordan Peterson, which I know, uh, you've had, you know, if you go back to the first time I had you on, right, you, you've had your own, uh, uh, cross paths with him, you know, that we're going back to 2016 and, and you go on and on. And so this is, we, we've been a bizarro land for, for a while. And I think more and more of us are just starting to finally go like, okay, uh, I, yeah, this is getting a little bit insane. Yeah. I mean, I think Canada was a really high trust society for so long because you were so small. You know, it was like, it's not that you could know everybody, but in your communities, in your province, you knew a lot of people. And so you you kind of looked around and said, um, a man's word is his bond because I'm going to see that man tomorrow and a month from now and a year from now. And uh, so much has changed with how much control I think Ottawa has over you guys that it, it snuck up. The people that were living particularly out in Western Canada were sitting there still believing, feeling like they're living in a high trust society when the reality was they have a centralized government that is doing things um, and taking advantage of that high trust. Yeah, <clears throat> I don't know. Complacency is probably the word. Um, you know, like I, we live in one of the greatest countries on the planet, bar none. I I don't care what anyone else says. I live now in in uh, Alberta, but I mean Saskatchewan isn't far behind it. Heck, they might be side by side in that they're they're you know they're bread baskets of the world when it comes to 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 farming they got uh, all the land you could ever possibly want plus all the minerals underneath so you're this energy superpower with food and land and everything everything you possibly want and so i think for most people you know if i think back to it you're like ah yeah, you know, it's just complacency. We're we're living too high, too long. We didn't think anything would come. We got Big Brother, uh, you know, to the south. We got the United States walking around, and if nobody's going to come in and raid us, and and it's been a very nefarious way. It's just been slowly over time, things have started to erode, to the point now where you're looking around, you know, and and you know, we just had it, uh, you know, in the beginning of January, where it was the emergency alert go out about possible brownouts in Alberta. And you're like, like, that's hitting pretty close to home. And if that doesn't pull your head out of the sand and go like, well, things are going to get rough here if, if uh, the adults in the room don't start to take over the ship again. Well, let's and, let's break this down because I think a lot of Americans sure. would be stunned. You know, Alberta has, I think, 10x the energy reserves that Texas does. And during the coldest part of the year, I think it was minus whatever. Minus, minus 40 with a minus 50 all, wind chill. This all, is... The, and so for your Americans, minus 42, they both converge, right? So at Fahrenheit at minus 42 is the same thing as minus 42 Celsius. It was cold. It was a cold night and, you know, minus 50. So everybody's got their, you know, their their heat pumping and whatever, you know. And uh, I was sitting on the couch watching the Oilers game. Uh, the Oilers at the time were trying to, well, now they're were, were waiting to, for Tuesday night when they, um, they get a chance at tying the NHL record for most consecutive wins in the NHL. And so I was just sitting there, and all of a sudden your phone starts beeping. And it's like turn off like everything. Your you know? phone says turn off and you're everything. Like, 
Yeah, it's an emergency alert. We have an emergency alert go across all the phones. Kind of like uh, if somebody's kidnapped or if you have like, you know, um, something in your area, you can get an emergency alert that goes out specifically to that area to let them know. So all of Alberta got an emergency alert saying, cut your power immediately. And so they, they were, you know, the politicians are all like, oh, we're just so proud of the, the, the people because they, they rea- responded right away. It's like, well, pardon the French, but no shit they responded right away. It's minus 50 outside. The power goes down. Like, that's like the worst case scenario of living up here. The absolute worst case scenario on the worst possible day. So, and, and you ended up having two guys on. I was actually shocked because I, I watched this happen on Twitter and, you know, I, I kind of made some some jokes about it, but knowing it was pretty serious. But then uh, a couple days later, you bring some real energy guys on to be like, what the hell happened here? I don't know how I worked myself into the situation, as you alluded to when we first started, right? Started this bloody thing with sports, community, and now I'm talking to politicians. And when the energy go is about to go down, you know, I just go like, well, who the heck can I talk about? So I start talking to all the people I know in Alberta politics. And they're like, you should just have this minister on, you know? Okay, fine. And he comes on and just tells us, and you know, I, I don't think he said anything too shocking other than their plan was as if it got bad enough to knock the power out for 30 minutes in different parts of the province, 30 minutes here, then kick it back on and 30 minutes over there. So they could weather the storm, so to speak. And, um, you know, I think a hope of a, a hope, a lot of us, that was the alert you needed to, to be like, this is serious. And we need to like really push on the government of like, we can't, we can't because we removed coal, right? We shut down some coal power plants and then they had, you know, a natural gas one, not, uh, you know, down and another one down and everything was down and, you know, and, and we're building more wind and solar, which makes, I'm not against all these renewable energies. Just when you go, you're in a place that for a huge chunk of the year has no sunlight. A huge chunk of the year is so cold that the windmills can't even go anyways. It's like, well, common sense just says we probably shouldn't bank on that being what's going to be our base load power. And I think a ton of people know this. I just don't think a ton of people know how bad the, the scenario is getting. And so for them to hear it and then get the alert and then to have people, more people talking about it, I think it's good for the province. I look at the situation as like, honestly, good Vance, because people need to understand that it could get worse, and it probably will with the push towards EVs. Well, and what I else. heard was two ministers that were dealing in in uh, energy, and they were rational people, right? They were sitting there being like, "This is exact. Like we took down coal. We don't have that. That's a really easy way for us to bring more electricity on online." But that's all been taken away. And they're very clear about the fact that solar and wind can't handle these things. But they're beholden to some higher power, right? They're they're beholden to this larger system that's totally demonizing carbon and making it so the tools that they should have, you have the engineers, you have the fuel, you have the capacity, and they're taking them off the table. And, and I, you know, frankly, I thought that was one of those kind of uh, writing on the wall moments where... Uh, you guys are fortunate right now that you still have ministers that are capable. I think what you're going to end up getting is the people like that, that are that competent, that see just how ridiculous the situation is. They're going to quit or they're going to get moved on. And then you're going to have somebody in there that's still, you know, blowing sunshines and rainbows at you while the energy actually is down. That that was a, a, so that's yeah. Germany. 
the the you can you can you can see into the future if you go look at Germany. And actually, Shane Getzen's the guy who comes on, and uh, he's the one talking. Uh, he's one of the two that come on, but he's the he's the guy who rode in the uh, the Coots convoy. He rode down there. He, he you know he, different things. He, or not the Coots convoy. He rode around in Edmonton. Sorry, apologies. He rode around in different things. And back then, for a political person to do that, that was very taboo, right? And and so he's one of the outspoken. And I'll put that in quotes. Um, so like he's, he's been over to Germany. He's seen how like they're, they're on, they're going nowhere. Like they have no common sense left. They have no expertise left. The one thing about Alberta, I hope, you know, with Daniel, Daniel Smith at the helm is that there will be more and more Shane Getzens that get into it. At least that's my hope. There's a lot of people that are active right now. And um, for a huge chunk of time, my entire life, I didn't see any of that. And, and and that's probably a lie. There's probably Albertans listening to that right now going, oh, there's always been people active. But right now, I see a huge chunk of the population that normally wasn't into politics getting real involved. Well, that's good to hear. You know, I, I probably know more about Canadian politics than I do about any other subject because I listen to your podcast. You know, it's funny. I always talk about um, in some of my talks, like, the five people that you spend the most time with, that's who you, the average you are. That's not my quote. That's, that's uh, well known. And I easily, you are in the top five people that I spend the most time with because I listen so much to your podcast. But in a lot of ways, the reason I do it is because I'm like, this is just a microcosm of what is actually happening in the United States. Not what's going to happen, but what is happening. We're just a larger um, you know, system that hasn't had all of these, you know, crazy ideas totally filter all the way through the system, but we will have every single one of the problems that you're having. So I, I watch it with a morbid curiosity. Um, cause I think that, you know, brownouts are going to happen here in places that they absolutely shouldn't. A, I'm really humbled to be in the top five. I'm also like, uh, Canada must be in a bad spot for that to be, you know, um, Every day, I was just saying, you know, so we had U7 hockey tournament this weekend. And for your, your American listeners, that's you uh, under seven uh, kids, so five and six-year-olds. It's like if the entire world went and watched at the rink, we would have no world wars. We'd probably have no fighting. Like, it's just the healthiest place to be. So I didn't have my phone on pretty much all weekend. Like, I didn't, I didn't pay attention to Twitter, didn't pay attention to nothing. And I rolled up this morning, and I'm like, ah. I should probably flick it open. And I flicked it open and I was like, ah, I should have just left it off, right? Like that is just, it reminds me of where Canada's at, you know, and the, and the latest, you know, so I'm prepping tonight, we have the, the live stream. And so, you know, fans are probably going to ask where Canada's at. I'm like, I should see what twos is throwing at me. And, and you know, of course, British Columbia is the is the new thing. Um, they're the safe supply. They have safe supply kiosks, if you would, or vending machines. And sure, there's steps to get through it, but now they're finding that, oh, 16, 17, 18-year-olds have found a way to get to get the wait, drugs Wait, wait, wait. What is safe supply? <laughs> safe supply is this idea, you know, and all these drug users out on the street, right? And there's dangerous stuff being put in the fentanyl. Fentanyl's dangerous, I might add. But but they're they're splicing it with a whole bunch of different things. People are dying. Uh, what was the stat? Seven people died per day in British Columbia last year uh, from drug overdose. And so they have this idea that safe supply they can use, and it won't kill them. <clears throat> it's it's a safe supply. 
And you start to rehabilitate people through that way, through drug use, instead of just like cold turkey where, I don't know, I, I wish I was the leading expert on drugs and everything else, but they're giving out safe supply. So the article says two things. One, they only have safe supply right now for about 4,000 people, and there's about 115,000 people that need it. And you're like, well, that's about as terrifying as it gets. So not only are we going to have safe supply, but we're going to have mass safe supply in British Columbia. Two is they found out that that people are hijacking the system that they've put in place. So taxpayers are funding, and I, I point to me, British Columbians should be the ones who are upset about this. Um, taxpayers are funding this idea of giving out free drugs to drug users. So, Vance, you could walk up and get drugs. Like, it's been proven there's been different people that have documented going and getting, like, hardcore drugs. And so you go, okay, well, that's well, that's rough. And then they have these, like, kiosks. They're, they're not everywhere. They're in Vancouver. They're a vending machine for um, Oxycontin. And, and, like, you know, like, this is an insane idea. And they found out that, you know, high school kids... They're starting to use it recreational. Why? Because they know it's safe and it's not like this huge dangerous drug. And I'm like, oh, this is just, this is just the dumbest thing ever. This, like this should not be happening. And yet here it is in Canada. That's, that's this morning. I read that article and I'm like, ah, you know, like the Tuesday mashup should be fun tonight. Yeah. It's worth mentioning that Tuesday mashup is with you and, and twos and every um, Monday or every, yeah, every Monday night, you guys sit down, you record a podcast and put it out on Tuesday morning. It's rapid fire. It's about what's going on. I love it because it's like hanging out with my two buddies, but to, to keep going with this kiosk thing or the drugs, I, you know, I had a guy on the podcast. He's been a regular. His name's Yosha Bach. And we were talking about all the things going on in San Francisco with the homeless populations. And, and he talks sure. about it being, um, you know, this uh, misplaced empathy or misplaced sympathy where where what you do is instead of actually having hard conversations with people and helping them face the hard realities of life, you say, oh, I'm actually going to keep capitulating. I'm going to keep giving you things. I'm going to keep enabling in the sense that to tell someone no is bad or to tell someone that they're on the wrong path is bad. And, you know, I think if you would have talked with us when we were growing up, uh, it would have been absolutely insane some of the ideas that are going on and they're but now they're being implemented and it doesn't take us very long to see just where this goes you know you've got the what do you call them trudeauvilles right where all these homeless encampments that are so large and uh, i mean those start to look like slums as bad or worse than what i saw in kenya when i when i look at those slums and it's not just in canada i mean this is going on in the us as well the homeless thing like i I wish I had the answers. I, you know, like I'm just, I'm sitting here reading about this and going, what on earth are we going to do? You know, like Lloyd Minster, where you're coming to, we have our own homeless problem. It's, it's minus, it's minus 40. I, it was minus 28 there uh, three weeks ago. I was up, uh, we have a, a 5 a.m. Uh, men's group. And so it's 4.50 in the morning. It's minus like 28 with the wind chill. It's close to minus 40. And there's a homeless guy walking down the street, and he looks about two steps from death. Like, that. that's that's what I'd say. So I pulled over, picked him up, drove him to the hospital. That's where he wanted to go. Had a lovely chat with him, to be honest. And you just go, like, if I was homeless, the last place I want to be is Lloydminster. I love my community, but, like, this is not the place to be homeless. Like, 
And yet, it's every every community right now in Canada. You talk to people, they're seeing it. You look at the United States, you're seeing it. It's just, it's everywhere right now. And then the, the, the drug thing is just, it just seems to be getting even more out of control. When you talk to emergency, um, the, you know, the, the first aiders, the uh, first aiders, the ambulance workers, the, the police officers, firemen, et cetera, they all carry Narcan. And they all talk about how, like, that's like one of their biggest callouts at this point in time is, is bringing people back from death. We have a problem. We have, we have a serious problem. And, um, politicians are trying to do different things. Like I stare at BC and I just go, you're insane. I just, I, I don't care like what rationale of giving out free drugs to people is you're insane at this point. Cause like, you know, seven people a day die. You're like, okay, so what are we going to do about that? We're going to, we're going to give a safe supply so that they don't die from it. Well, all right. All right. Well, we'll see. Have you, have you talked to a drug user and what they chase? Like it isn't, it isn't safe supply and just being high and having this, like they chase a high that you can't find unless you're dead. And then you get brought back. Like it's wild to talk. I mean, I, I firmly believe that none of this will get solved until we solve the money problem. And the money problem is governments actually like they are taxing people and they are using tax dollars, but they're able to run such enormous deficits and they can, they don't have to have a balanced budget. So they are able to take whatever money they want and, and put it towards whatever projects, um, make people feel good. I mean, and, uh, or, or allow them to be able to uh, send it to other grifters. Like certainly there's people in this safe supply that are making money off of it. I know in the U S you know, so many of these homeless uh, programs, you know, a lot of people are making big salaries, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year um, while they have frontline workers that are not making that, you know, one of our shared friends, a guy named Jake. Now he is not making bank off of working for homeless people, but there are other people in that system that are setting up the the shelters or getting grants or whatever. They're making all kinds of money. And I think the only way to stop that is to make it so it is impossible for the government to spend money that they don't have. And right now, at least in the United States, their ability to print money makes it so there are no there's no control over them at all. They can spend on whatever they want. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see. But I don't know how to do it, you know. The longer I stare at government, I realize the more control they have over anything, the worse it gets. And in Canada, in particular, government controls a lot, you know, like healthcare. We spent our province's number one thing they spend on is healthcare, socialized healthcare. And it is complete and utter shit right now. If you go to Manitoba, it's every week, Tuesday and I will talk about it again. I think this is a third straight week of somebody dying or having this crazy story of going to the waiting room in an emergency at a hospital, and we've had people die there. And then the latest one has been a, a podcast guest. I'm going to have to have her on to talk about this. It, she literally gets the materials from the doctors and sews the guy up herself because they're sitting there for seven hours and nobody's coming to do what needs to be done to make him be able to walk out the door he's got a big giant cut and broken bones and everything and she's like doing all the work i'm like this canada and we spend all the money there this is a government ran thing we spent 26 was it 21 and then they upped it in the middle of COVID. i think it's 26 billion dollars on our health care and it's it's atrocious 
it just it's well not in good. the U.S. the the way the government is involved here is that they just have so many provisions on doctors, so many forms, and then the insurance companies are totally wildly out of control. I'm sure it's because they're trying to control expenses. I'll give you an example. My uh, one year old had RSV last year, um, just just a few months ago, really. And uh, we were in the hospital. This child is like gasping for air. This is like her O2 levels are so far down. First of all, it took us about eight hours to even get admitted to the hospital. Then after we spent the night where I'm holding the little tiny mask that puts oxygen over her face is I'm like holding it up to her so she can keep breathing so she doesn't wake up and start scream crying. Um, then a few months later when we get the, the bill, the insurance company says, denied. You didn't, uh, you know, it, it, this was not medically necessary. And I'm sure we're going to get it all squared away. We're going to jump through a bunch of hoops. We're going to have doctors call. You have to take all these notes. But I mean, I want so badly to find whoever that claims adjuster is that hit a button, although it's probably just AI. I want to show them the video that I took of my daughter gasping for air and have them tell me like, no, not medically necessary. Yeah, no, it doesn't check a box. So you have actually had some good things happen or surprising things happen in Canada, which uh, is that the Canadian Emergencies Act that was used to get all of the truckers out of Ottawa during the, the trucker convoy was viewed, uh, was ruled unconstitutional. So um, yeah. what does that even mean? Who was A it liberal. that reviewed it? And what does it mean that it was unconstitutional? Judge Mosley, 21-year uh, judge, liberal appointed. You know, that'd be like... You know, the Democrats appointing the judge and then that said judge ruling in favor of the Republicans. That That's the way I look at this. So like this, I don't know. I read the headline, Vance, and I was like, that has to be a joke. So then you read the story and you're like, holy crap. That's, that's, that's what we thought was going to happen a year ago, right? And it didn't. And so you kind of went, oh, we're screwed. And then, you know, in the last six, eight months, we've had the Ingram case here in Alberta. And what the Ingram case did is it showed is basically in the middle of COVID, they didn't go the right, the, the, they didn't follow the letter of the law, which meant um, anyone who got fined in Alberta, charged for breaking COVID this, COVID that, pretty much overnight, all of it went away. It was a huge case. That was uh, Leighton Gray. And uh, his firm that had put that in. Now, the 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 people who were saying, you know, yeah, but we didn't win on, they didn't say they violated our constitutional rights. They are correct. But what it did for a lot of people is it showed, oh, there's the chink in the armor, and now all these these charges start dropping overnight. Boom, 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 boom. They just all all disappear. From a federal standpoint, you know, they they were saying that <laughs> they were saying that, you know, oh. This is, we did nothing wrong here. The EA was, was invoked. It was, it was right. There was nothing wrong on and on and on. And this judge comes out and says it's unconstitutional on, on a whole bunch of things, which make common sense. You're just like, oh my God. So what does it mean? Um, well, I am going to assume, and I've been hearing already, that there's going to be a ton of people file a lawsuit against government. Imagine you got your, your uh, bank account frozen. That's deemed unconstitutional now. Oh, you better be suing for some money because they will, right? And and on and on it goes. There's people who put in jail. There's people, you know. And so 
all these people are going to have, well, the judge just said it was unconstitutional. So there's going to be a, a huge backlash now, which is, which is great. Um, so as you hear that stuff, you know, unconstitutional, the Ingram case, are you feeling safer? Are you feeling like, hey, we've turned a corner? No, because we just sent a guy to jail for 10 months for running over a pylon. So that's James Sowery. And you still got the Coots 4, who are now 722 days as of today. And, like, I think more people are paying attention. But, like, the systems, whether it's the United States or it's Canada, we have a big problem. They have been corrupted. Some... You know, some call it the woke mob. Some others, this, that, ideologies, everything else. doesn't matter. Maybe it does matter. I just look at it and you go, like, all the institutions that control our lives have been really corrupted. And that really sucks. Because, we, you know, you get the big win, unconstitutional, this is great. James Sowery gets 10 months in jail for hitting a pylon. Now, can you say, well, he was, he was in, you know, he was trying to scare the cop? Okay. He hit a pylon, leaving a protest. Got 10 months. You got a life ruined for it. And um, you, we got other people that are, you know, pedophiles. Pedophiles seem to be a huge thing up north right now with, you know, you'll have somebody get in, release the same day. Like, here in Lloyd Vance, we had a guy who everybody seems to know was doing, well, the, probably the most despicable things ever. Uh, and in the same day... He was at the pool, exposed himself, gets call, hauled in, gets released, gets set, found the same day he gets hauled in after exposing himself out front of a daycare. And then he got caught now in, um, where was it, folks? Bahamas, Barbados, somewhere over there, and doing it at a hotel. And like, then transpose a guy hitting a pylon getting 10 months in jail. I'm like, something doesn't make sense here. So when you say, am I feeling safer? Well, no. <laughs> it's nice to have some wins. It shows me that maybe there's a path out of here that doesn't lead in um, bloodshed or uh, jail or, you know, just utter and complete insanity. But, I mean, we got our work cut out for us. We put ourselves in a deep freaking hole. You know, I thought I knew a lot about uh, the kind of Russian Revolution and some of the stuff that went on with the communist, um, you know, the Red Guard and how those things took over. But I recently started reading Michael Malice's book. He wrote a book called The White Pill. And it's just like all these other ones that you read about this history. And it's so chilling, particularly in today's day and age where you're like, I can actually see that I can see a path where we would get to this point. And in the white pill, what they're talking about is how did they, how did Lenin and, and his thugs of people take over? Well, they went and said, hey, everybody, things are finally going to be equal. And all these people that have been above you, they're not going to be above you. They're not going to be below you. Everyone's going to be equal. And you had these fervent young people who had been living hard lives. I don't think uh, they weren't peasants, right? They were just middle-class people that struggled to imagine how they were going to continue to be at their parents' level or above. And so somebody came in and whipped them up and said, well, the reason that you don't have hope is because, you know, these bourgeoisie people that have good families and are passing things on, it's unfair. So what we should do is imagine a world 
which families don't really exist. The state hires the best experts and those experts raise your kids for you and mom can go back to work. And if she ever wants to see her kids, she can. But, you know, the state knows how to rear those kids the best and on and on and on. And these people believed in it so deeply that they went and killed other people, that they went and reported on other people to the tune of millions of people having this happen. And you look around at the world and you see this is how much has happened in the last few years. And you can see how rough it is for people looking at a world where they don't think they have hope for the future. They're not going to be able to buy a home. Their college degree is worthless. You can imagine how these people could get whipped up into a frenzy to try and bring equality to the world. And it is super, super dangerous. And then just remember that there's a lot of money behind it, right? There's a lot of big money that's pushing on all these different agendas in Canada specifically, you know, uh, whether we're talking, um, I don't know whether we're, the one that comes to mind is, is the, is the, the trans thing right now, you know, like Daniel Smith just came out and basically said, we're going to protect parental rights. It wasn't anything too wild. It was basically saying, you know, if, uh, if a kid's going to change their pronoun in school, the parents need to know about it. And we're not going to allow anyone to do anything until they're 18, as far as their body goes. People, you know, I don't know. I Supposedly people lost their mind. It seemed pretty common sense to me. And yet, you know, if you trace the money in that, like there is big, big money pushing on that, pushing on having men compete in women's sports, pushing on, and you're like, why? And, you know, that takes you into, you know, you're talking the white pill. It just takes you into these realms of like, these are... uh things that have happened in the past, not with this particular issue, but they've found ways to deconstruct very, um, I don't know, very well put together nations by turning their people against each other on such silly things. They're just silly. Yeah, and, and silly. really attacking the very foundational things that, um, that make society function right now. You know, like, uh, the, one of the things I talk about, I, there was a guy on here, the podcast named Sam Oburia that brought it up with me. He's like, look, everything that is around humans, not just all of the technology, not just the fact that we drive around in cars and buildings, that was all constructed by humans. But so too were all of the organizations, the social technologies that we created to be able to figure out how do we you know, operate in this world without completely only you know, being with your clan and killing anybody that's outside of it. So, so you have different, you know, rotary clubs and you have different parent teacher organizations and government organizations and U7 hockey. And over time, we figured out that by using these social technologies, we get along and we're able to make things work. But when somebody wants to attack those social technologies, they don't do it at the edges. They do it at the core. So they're, they're at the core. Like you talk about not telling a parent, you know, some major change that's gone on with their child. Like, fuck you. Like, it's, it's my moral responsibility to be in charge of that child. And, and anybody that wants to say that the state or some teacher or, or anybody else has some right to know things about my child that I don't know, like, fuck you. You're, you're, you are, you are um, now in the realm of, like, moral core. But it seems like they are very willing to do it. And, uh, and Oh, but we're going to but, – but, but Vance, we're going to protect your child. Because your child is in this very difficult stage where they can't tell you who they really are because you won't accept them. So we need to protect them. 
God, I want to punch that person square in the face. I mean, and and the people that are doing it, you think like, how could you possibly think this is helping? And and like I, I tell you what, my wife is is really good at me at not letting me get so worked up that I see every angle. You know, like she she she'll make me say, hey, step, take a step back. You know, I know parents that are dealing with their children going through, um, you know, the the trans questioning and and how should they handle this and. You know, should the, you know, you don't want them to reject their children. You want to make sure that they get to still be around them. So I am not saying that, that this is not a difficult issue. I'm just saying that anybody in the state, including teachers, that, that wants to interfere between that conversation between parents and children, like you're an enemy at that point. This is, this is why I'm so big on men's groups, on the book club. Um, This is this is the way it's playing out is like this really compassionate, like toxic compassion, right? Like it's just like we we're gonna help these kids by by protecting them from their parents. Well, that's probably the wrong angle. But in fairness, on the parents' side, maybe you should be in more involved in your kid's life. You know, maybe you maybe you need you know like divorce is at an all time high. Like maybe you should maybe you should figure out your your personal lives when you talk about attacking the core of of society the family unit is about as core as it gets and um in a society that's like well you know look at some of the life-changing things that both you and i um really put high up one getting married married was a very smart choice for me two having kids and in today's world specifically canada you can get divorced tomorrow. I'm like, boom. And, 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 so, oh, yeah, you're probably better off. I say, screw that. Like, you know, if you're at the point where you're getting divorced, take a look and start figuring out what you did wrong and, and try and fix it. Because if you have kids, you're hurting them down the road. Now, are there exceptions? Probably. But overall, I'm like, we're making it way too easy. And then the, the abortion thing, you know, once again, I know that's a, Real hot topic for a lot of people. Are there going to be exceptions? Probably. But like our society is making some of the fundamental things that make us up and make me who I want to be and see how uh, families can turn around what we're in. They want to take it all away. You don't need kids. You don't need, you can get divorced. It's not a big deal. These aren't big deals. They're big deals, folks. And um, I'm big on men being men. Like, that doesn't mean you go around roughing everybody up. It just means sometimes you have to say no. Sometimes you have to stand firm. Sometimes you got to go, that makes zero sense. I don't care how much science you try and throw at me, how many statistics you throw at me. It ain't happening on my watch. And too often right now in our societies, we act like the big things aren't big. Oh, just go get divorced. What's a big deal? It's a big deal. You don't want to have kids? That's a big deal. The family unit is a big deal, and they keep trying to get in, into it. So when you talk about teachers um, stepping into that role, which is the parent role, it's like, well, as parents, we're allowing it to happen too. We can't just put it all on teachers and politicians because as bad as it, it at times it can be in Canada, part of it is is just the parents not not owning up to the job, and the job is a big one. It's a tough one. It stresses the crap out of all of us. There are days where you don't sleep. There's days where you hold the, the little um, 
uh, mask to your, your child's health, head uh, face sorry, when they have RSV. And that is about as paralyzing a feeling, I assume, because I've had my children be six where they, they can hardly breathe, and there's nothing more soul-crushing crush, than that. This is not for the faint of heart, but you got to put on your big boy pants and, and, and step into the yeah, role. That- and stop letting government and society tell you what that is, because they are batshit crazy. The other day, I, so the the soul crushing ones, like the 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 one where you're holding the little oxygen mask, that's hard for the parent. And there, but there's something like, you know, heroic a mission that you can achieve there that you're like trying to get through. The the soul crushing one is when you've got work bearing down on you. And you have a hundred things to do at home. Your wife has been contributing as much as she can, but she's frazzled at the end. You didn't sleep much. And your three-year-old daughter kicks the one-year-old daughter. And now they're screaming and you got to handle it. And like, that's the chaos that unless you have a men's group or um, a core group of people that you can talk with, you believe the lie that life was supposed to be easy. And you start to believe the the like self-pity thing of like, gosh, it, it shouldn't be this hard. These kids should behave better. My wife should be able to do things in some other way. Like you believe all this stuff that I, I think of as uh, the retirement myth. You know how how every time some you see a, a commercial for the for financial planning, it's like old people running off a dock and jumping into the water and being like, you're free from worry and care. And, and that's the part that's hard about being a parent. But at the same time, if you don't do that, you're, and, and it's okay if you don't have children, that's fine. It's just that the tie to the future with people that have children is different than the tie to the future with people that don't have children. And, and like, I, I'm sure that hurts people's feelings. I went through a period of time where I didn't know if we were going to be able to have children and, um, I know what it is like to look into the abyss and say, what if I am all that there is? Like, what, what does that change about who I am and what's important? But, but once you have children, your tie to the future is different. Yeah, I, I know there is going to be some hurt feelings. That's fine. I, I mean, that's fine. I, for two, everybody's got to feel great. We all got to be, you know, everybody's got to, you know, U7. <clears throat> My daughter, everybody gets a participation medal, which honestly at that age, does it really matter? But my daughter goes, so did we win? I said, no, actually I lost. So why did we get a medal? I said, well, because the powers that be think that uh, all of you getting a medal will help your self-esteem. We'll keep somebody right? from crying. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, oh, okay, but we didn't win. I'm like, no, uh, actually you lost the last game and um, yeah, I, I, that was a good team. You know, but you, you, you get a medal for being out there and participating. And, and that's a good thing, too. You know, but it's different than you won. And so, you know, I come back to the the, the, the kid thing. There's going to be people that, that can't have kids. And so then they go, you're an asshole because you, you know, what about that person? And I'm like, okay, but in general, if we don't have people having kids, folks, what happens? Well, maybe extinction. Right. Okay. So we need people having kids. Is there going to be exceptions? Always. There's always an exception. But by having kids and by being active in their lives, you have to sacrifice a whole bunch of what you want to do in order to, to, to give them the life that they should have or you want them to have and teach them the lessons they have. 
I spend way too much bloody time right now. You know, and somebody goes, do you volunteer? I don't volunteer. And they're like, well, do you coach your kids hockey team? Yeah, I'm, I'm coaching that. And are you doing this? Yeah, I'm, all right. So I guess I'm, I'm doing a heck of a lot more. You have to give up, you know, going out to the bar, going out to, you know, like I, I love traveling, Vance. I love going all over the bloody world. I can't afford it anymore. Why? Because I'm putting my kids in sports and I'm being active. I want them to succeed. And I never thought I'd have that in life where I wanted something for somebody else other than me, like that much. I want them to be successful in life, which means I have to be involved. But I come back to it. You know, if you don't, if you, Jordan Peterson, love or hate the guy, I don't care where you stand, clean your room. And you're like, well, why the heck do I got to clean my room? Because start taking care of yourself. Then start taking care of your, your marriage. And then maybe your family. And see where that goes. And if you've got a healthy unit, man, you can, with, you can endure a whole lot. And in Canada right now, it is insane. But I'm telling you, I just had one of the most beautiful weekends. Why? Because I got to hang out with my family. And did I annoy my wife at times? Guaranteed. Did my kids annoy me? Guaranteed. But I got to be around them, and that is so healthy. And I just can't, you know, I'm, I'm on my pulpit right now screaming it again. But, like, to me, that's the message that needs to be out there. Family is good. Find one. Start working on it. You're in one? Work on it. And, like, life only gets better. Gosh, I mean, when you're in it, it is it is hard. There are so many people now, because we've done these legacy interviews, and they talk about the time with their children, and everybody says the same thing. Like, it goes in the blink of an eye. Oh, it happens so fast. But when you're in it, and you're like, sit down, uh, get in your car seat, we need to leave. It seems like an eternity, but uh, but everyone. everyone that's why you need it. the teammate, though. That's why. That's why you need. That's why you need. Uh, you know, for me, it's it's Mel, because I find when I'm having those moments, she's the one balancing out. Oh, I'll just do the buckle. It's okay. <laughs> I'll just relax. And usually, it's the flip. You know, she's had a long day, and I can just see the humor in it. Casey's, you know, he won't put his buckle on because he can see it's getting mum frustrated. And for some reason, they really enjoy that. And you're like, Case, come on, just put, just put the buckle on, right? Well, here we go. It's not a big deal. And if you have, uh, you know, I, my heart goes out to the single parent families. Like, I just cannot imagine not having somebody to balance me out. Somebody to just like talk about and be like, man, he was being a little dink today. Like, I don't know what that was about, right? Because they go through stages. But we've, you've sat with all these old timers. I've sat with a whole bunch of old timers and they all say, I would go back to that stage in a heartbeat. And you either take that for the value that it is, or you think they don't know anything. But when it becomes a recurring theme that they all say they would go back to the, the chaos, it's like, enjoy it. Cause it will go very fast. You know, it's my, my oldest now is seven turning eight. And there's times where he just doesn't need me anymore. It's really interesting. It's really fun and cool. But at the same time, he just doesn't need me anymore. And so, it, you know, like in the blink of an eye, he'll be going to high school and won't want to even be around me anymore, you know? And you're like, hmm, that's a tough thought. And so you want it, but at the same time, the chaos is like, the chaos is a lot of fun. Chaos is like, man, there is never a dull moment in this house right now. No matter how many times I try and settle it back down, somebody's throwing something off of something, they're rolling down the stairs, on and on it goes. And it's like the most healthy thing on the planet, especially when you, you, you know, you stare out this weekend, there was, there was, there was protests in Edmonton over Daniel Smith talking about parental rights. And you wake up and BC's talking about kids taking drugs from, from vending machines. And you're like, 
the world has gone insane. What I have going on in my house, as chaotic and stressful as it is, there ain't nothing better. Yeah, I mean, it's the garden you create, and and that's that. You know, I I uh, one of my biggest goals is no matter how much they're mad at me for for not letting them do what they want to do and go to bed. The thing that I'm always trying to keep is when I come home, will they run at me and try and knock dad over with a big hug? And that's just something like there is no way to replicate that, right? If you paid somebody to knock you over with a big hug um, when you got home, it wouldn't mean anything to you. But to have these little monkeys that are getting into trouble and driving their mom crazy and they see dad and that is the most excited they will be all day and give you this big scream and want to jump on you, that's that's the reward you get. And it's not it's not something you can frame. It's not something you can show on social media. Or if you do, you're kind of a, I don't know, crazy person. Well, and one of the, you know, you said right at the start, um, and I know I, I chuckle, folks, because I know Vance has this like plan of where we're going, and I just keep <laughs> it over and over again. Um, one of the things that I've been really conscious on with the podcast, you know, no matter how successful it gets, and I, you know, I, I appreciate the the compliments at the start, but one of the one of the things I try and do is like every time I can feel it pulling at me further and further away from my family, I pull my I pull it back towards my family, and so like Mel's got to beat Tucker Carlson now. Which was, you know, like, was nothing, like, crazy. But I'm like, I want to have her along for the ride. I don't want to get to where she's never there. And I hope in the next couple years I'm going to start doing more of where the family comes with, the entire family comes with, to to see and meet these different characters and everything else. I got some different plans, or Mel and I have different plans here for the coming, coming years to see if we can pull off a couple things. And I want them with me. I don't want to, and I think that is a rarity. I, I don't see anyone playing that thought process out in the world. Are there? I'm sure there are. But overall, is it rare? Yeah, it's rare. You know, tons of people in the media sphere who are at the top are single, divorced, no kids, on and on and on and on and on. Because, you know, I'm finding out when you're trying to cover all the different things happening in Canada or the United States. Like they want you to go everywhere all the time. Oh, you got to be down here. Oh, you got to over here. It's like, mm, do I, do I really? No, probably not. Like I probably not. I'm going to go to my U seven hockey tournament and, and, and have one of the healthiest weekends uh, known to man. And if I can continue to play that out where they get to be around me and myself around them, I think the, um, that's where I, I want to grow this thing too. You know, I think um, one of the best uh, things in, in Steinbeck's East of Eden is when he talks about the difference between being a good man and being a great man. And, you know, the, the great man has to give up the possibility oftentimes of being a good man. And, and that is that if you're going to be great, you're going to be well-known, you're going to be, um, you're going to have adulation, you're going to have made a difference in the world, means that often that good man that would be a father that would be somebody that can care for people in a really deep way that can really be present. You don't get to be both good men and great men are different people. And, uh, and I think raising a parent, like, you know, my wife and I talk about how much time we spend uh, cooking for our children. I I think like that's something that is not really being addressed right now is that uh, if you want to have your children eat healthy, it takes time. And time is this most precious thing that you have. And, but my wife and I have sat there and been like, well, what could we be doing with our time that would be more valuable than trying to feed our children the best food that we can in the most wholesome way that we can, as opposed to 
running in a bunch of different directions, getting them in all these piano and dance and gymnastics classes, but feeding them junk along the way. That's, that's not the right balance, at least not the right balance for us, but man, it is a hell of a sacrifice because you got to give up, you know, days and nights and early mornings just to make food. And I think this is something that, um, should be talked about more. Well, and cooking, I'm, I'm not a great cook. I'm, I'm, I'm getting, you make a mean steak, uh, but cook, cook, cooking, cooking is, is an art and, uh, and you're teaching, it's educational, right? All at the same time. And kids are naturally drawn to it. So you can just make bacon and eggs and they're like, oh, I want to crack the egg. I want to be right in the mix of it. And then they're trying to, you know, and and on and, and you're explaining things and where food comes from and everything. Like it becomes this conversation, this dialogue where they get to interact and get their hands right in the mix. So cooking is a, I, I would say three years ago, I really sucked at it. But, you know, it's it's a, a labor of love, and the kids get to come along for that too, right? They get to see how things um, are made, what tastes good, what they like, what they don't like. I keep trying to get them. I have <clears throat> they, they, they're, they're creatures of habit or something. Like they, they see something, ah, I don't want to try that. So that's, a, that's been something I've been trying to work around, Vance. And I, I'd be curious with your kids. <clears throat> I've been trying to get Mila to understand, like, you can you can say no to everything, but you're gonna miss out on so much. And this might be the greatest tasting. Doesn't matter, sauce, uh, piece of meat, piece of pasta, whatever. And you don't even know it unless you just put it in your mouth. And if you put it in your mouth, and you go, "Oh, that wasn't good," then you just don't eat it anymore. But what happens if it's so good? You're like, it becomes your favorite food. And I and and so she's like, "Okay, fine." So then she'll try it, and half the time she becomes this like, like. Kids are like little jackals when it comes to like good tasting meat. They just like are just hammering it down. I'm like, this is cool, and uh, those are special moments too. And you can have that. You can have that at the hockey rink, chasing them around, moving them as hard as you can go with a rink burger, just as quickly I think as you can cooking at home. I think there. Once again, what you're pointing out is being active in your kids' lives. And if you do that, man, you're gonna have all these moments where you just get to like have such wicked cool conversations and see their little minds jump, uh, you know, try and like understand it and, and get uncomfortable with some of the things that oh, I don't want to try that. Right. Like I'm always impressed with my kids getting on the ice with like 50 other kids and going out there and, and like doing it. I'm like, man, like how cool is that? They're becoming little independent human beings right in front of your eyes and they're getting better and they're dealing with emotions and they're getting run over by some kid and not liking that and getting up and, ah, and the, and the food thing, Love it all. I just I just love hearing that you're involved in your kids' lives. I sound like I'm the guy, like, I don't know. I don't know when I got this, like, champion of the family and how important it is. And I keep pulling it back to that because I just, like, I think people need to hear it. I don't, And I don't think your audience needs to hear it as much as other parts of the world. Well, I, for me, there's just a, there's a huge benefit to hearing the challenges that other people are facing. You know, uh, we have a, a shared friend, David Aransky, and uh, I think he's just, he's about to be on your podcast here pretty soon, eh? Yes. Um, and yes. David is a guy I, I just admire and respect him. He's a financial planner. I've had him on the podcast a few times. He's going to be a regular on here. But one time I heard him talking about the challenges that he was having with his kids. And it was something silly about getting them buckled in their car seats or whatever, but like just the stress on it. And that like was such a sense of relief for me that I was like, oh, 
other people have challenges too. Okay. So I like it, it got me over that feeling of like, um, you know, self-pity or whatever it is that you do when you're like, ah, oh, it's not fair. This child is keeping me from the thing that I should be able to achieve. And and so talking about it, and that's why I like to share stuff like that on the podcast, because I'm hoping guys out there that are experiencing this or women, they can say, I, I get that too. That that's, uh, that's something I'm going through and it makes it easier to know that I'm not alone. Well, we both know, like I remember watching uh buddy of mine's kids when they were like, I don't know, six, seven, and they were holy terrors. They were wild men. They were feral children. It was wild to watch. And at times, my kids now are there. And I'm like, crap, right? Like, how did my kids become the feral children? Right? <laughs> they, they, they run it. We, we, we go to a hockey tournament in uh, northern Alberta, and there was a swimming pool there. And I could see the room was just nice and quiet. Nobody's, you know, a couple kids swimming everywhere. And I opened the door, and three Newmans, just scream as hard as they can go and all cannonball into the pool. And from that moment on, for the next two hours, that place is rocking. And I'm like, ah, the Newmans are here. You know, like they just, they don't have an off switch and they don't have a quiet switch. And so it's like, well, do you harp on them for the rest of time that you got to be quiet? No, there's certain spots in life where you can be as loud as you want. And I think a swimming pool is certainly one of them with the slide and everything else. But it was wild to watch all the other kids like, kind of like tense up as these three little human beings just like, yeah, yeah, into the pool. And um, I don't know. Well, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm, when, I'm, when you had two kids, was going back in, you yeah. know, holding your water, holding your, your breath to jump into the cold water again for a third child, was it tough for you to say, yeah, let's, let's go a third round? Or you're like, no, obviously we want to do this. Okay, so when we had our first, I was done. When we had our second, I was really done. And then it was like eight months after we'd had our second, we started like, well, maybe we could have a third. And the third was, uh, the third was emergency C-section. We had some complications. So for the first like two months, I thought, oh my God, like I didn't sleep. Um, Mel couldn't get up off the couch because she couldn't lift anything. So I was like, you know, I was a zombie walking back and forth. It was, it was a rough, probably month. But it was only five months later, I could have had a fourth. Because once you're in the chaos, I'm like, well, what's one more? <laughs> and the problem we had is Mel Mel, Mel uh, had had complications, so we had it so that her tubes were out, so like we can't have any more. And, you know, it's not that I'm a, I regret getting the tubes out. Mel always goes, probably a blessing, because we probably would have had four or five. And the truth of the matter is, I would have more in a heartbeat. I love the chaos. Uh, my bank account doesn't. <laughs> but, like... I don't know, I don't know, like, you just go home, and you're tired, and you get them in bed, and you start it all over again, but, like, I never have a dull day. They bring, so we have a little RAV4. Like, most common sense people would have bought a new vehicle Vance. Something a little bit more space. And I'm a bit cheap, frugal, I'm like, well, let's just, there's got to be a different way. Instead of spending ten or twenty grand or whatever on a new vehicle, couldn't we just spend I don't know four hundred bucks and get something else? And so we spent four hundred dollars and got narrow car seats so that well we can make it work. And so then you know two years ago we did a road trip with the three of them. So two years ago that means they were five, four, and two in a car 
and we drove 11 days. So we drove from here to Denver and over to Minneapolis. And you go, everyone, I remember thinking, I remember thinking, we're insane. Like, this is, this is a terrible, terrible choice. But we're going to do it. We're going to see how it goes. And now when I look back, it was the funnest thing we did. 11 days being jammed together, screaming, crying, driving, seeing new countryside, everything. It was insane. You know what we're going to do this summer coming up? This is the plan right now. 21 days. We're going to go for 21 days and almost 5,000 kilometers, which, I mean, what the heck does that equate to in miles? I don't know. It's a lot. And I'm more excited for that because I'm like, I know exactly what that's going to be. That is going to be chaos, but it is going to be so much fun, and I get to be around my kids and my wife, and, and there's just no getting away. You can get mad at me all you want, but we're, <laughs> we're stuck together, and we're going to see some new things. We're going to go explore the world we're going to show them some things. We're going to meet new people. We're going to see different things they'd never see. And we're going to be tight, and they're going to have to deal with it. And they're going to have to deal with their siblings. And too much of modern society is space. Everybody gets their own room. Everybody gets their own this. Everybody has that. It's like, do I love that? Yeah, sure, it's comfortable. Sometimes I, I like being a little uncomfortable. Sometimes I like jamming into a creepy old Bates-looking motel with three kids, and they're, they're you know, they're they're like... Kids say the the most crazy things, you know, and and you got, and then you're you're just jammed. You're sleeping in bed with two kids. You're getting kicked in the side. You're getting, you know, it's like that's that's awesome. That's what memories are made from. Well, we've gotten a chance to look into uh, or behind the curtain with you, man. I really appreciate it. I had grand aspirations of talking about. Um, I laughed at you when you rattled off fifteen things. I'm like, we're gonna get bogged down in something. Of course, it's we get bogged down in family, and you're like. That shouldn't surprise anyone who knows me anymore. No, this has been great. I, the one thing I do want to say, though, about your uh, podcast is that you have a military roundtable and a blue-collar roundtable, and mm. these have been, I think, really important additions to what's out there in podcast land. It's very rare that you get to hear you know, a bricklayer talking about what his life is like, what he sees in the world, how he's involved in his community, and this latest military roundtable I mean, I'm straight up nervous for those guys because they talk with so much candor, not just about the the battles they were in, but also about how how um, command worked and about how it didn't work and about w what's going on in the Canadian military. There's nothing else like that. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that. Well, and if I if I may, quick Vance, um, when it comes to the blue collar, when it comes to the military, uh, one of the things that I see as a big hole in Canadian society is we have this small portion of people, mainly men, who went off to war. And they are kind of ostracized from society, right? Like that nobody asks them their opinion. These guys literally went to war for us. Like they, they, they see and understand things going on right now and nobody talks to them. And then the next is, you know, like we get all these academics and they're, they're, they're so smart and all these scientists and they're so smart. But none of them actually have to go fix the shitter, right? No, none of them actually put together the power grid. And they're, they're, these guys don't get to talk because they're out doing the work. And so by putting those onto a show, the hope is we're going to find some people that have voices that can add to the politician coming on saying, yeah, well, if we, it gets bad enough, we're just going to do 30-minute brown, brownouts and whatever. It's like, well... What does the common person think about that? The guy doing the work and the military is no different because they, they, those guys have a combined 78 years of military experience. One of them served in six tours and the other two, I think four and five. 
And like they've just seen society go from, you know, they talk about, I think it's Bosnia hosting the Olympics to full out civil war and just like massacring their fellow man. And so we need to hear those stories as much as we need anything else. So the the uh, the hope is that these continue month after month and uh, we continue to evolve them so that they become very, I don't know, coherent in what they're trying to talk about and talking to the world of today. Well, it's great. I think it's a tremendous service you're offering to the Canadian people, but really even to people like me. I, I, I've sat with veterans and, and heard them tell their stories, but I don't think I've ever heard people talk like they are on your podcast. So... Sean, if people wanted to uh, find out more about you or find you on the on the web, where would they go? Well, right now, please do not go to my website. It has been commandeered, and we've been fighting to get it back. So, don't go there. You can go Hijackers? on uh, Twitter. Like, who, who did that? We don't know. Still, we don't know. It's it's pretty nefarious. What's what's been going on? So it's um, yeah. It, my website got transferred from my name to somebody else. Moved from where it was at to to GoDaddy. So now you can't know who it is because it's been legally transferred, uh, even though we own the website and everything else. So you can imagine it's been um, a little bit interesting. So the SeanNewmanPodcast.com is no longer me right now. It's a Chinese gambling site. <laughs> Go have a chuckle at that. Um, so if you want to find me, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and and Facebook, Sean Newman Podcast, I'm all over it. If you just Google Sean Newman Podcast, that's where you're going to find, uh, you know, uh, the two mainstays would probably be Apple Podcasts and and um, Spotify. And we release new shows every week, Monday through Friday. Tuesday mashup, as uh, Vance has pointed out, if you want to get a taste or just dip your toe and have a couple laughs, um, the Tuesday mashup brings you the headlines. Uh, if you don't like a little bit of swearing and colorful language, it's probably not. Yeah, it's not for great you. for listening um, with your children, as I've found out before. No, yeah. don't don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, and, and then the rest of the week, you know, it, it's it, it varies on guests and topics. Um, you know, today was the military roundtable, and and you know, there's it, it kind of goes at the full spectrum, but uh, lots of. Um, you know, I get yelled at one day because uh, because I'm too much of a, a gospel show. I'm talking too much Christianity, and then the same day I'll get yelled at for swearing, and I'm uh, I'm I'm not living up to the Christian faith. I'm like, I just I can't I can't do this like this split personality of people. But that's that's what it's become. You know, if you don't go hard enough on the politician asking tough questions, and then the next person's like, you went too hard. You know, it's like you just can't make everyone happy. So why try? Come on over. There's five days a week where we uh, story time with Sean, pretty much. You know, we bring on different people from all over the place. Well, I love it and probably listen to too much of it. Sean Newman, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Vance. And uh, looking forward to you being in Lloydminster in my stomping grounds. We'll get you in the studio. February 14th and 15th.